0: hello i'm claire from wild ginger running the trail and ultra running youtube channel and this is the podcast version of my weekly live chat with an athlete coach or other running expert the link to the original film on youtube is in the show notes check out my instagram and youtube channel for more training advice inspiration and gear reviews everything is wild ginger running and my blog is wildgingerunning.co.uk Support me on Patreon if you enjoy this free advice at patreon.com slash Running. Enjoy this podcast and see you next week for more. Good evening and welcome everybody to a slightly later live tonight, I am thrilled to be here tonight with sports rehab therapist and coach from Kinetic Revolution, he's got his own YouTube channel which you must join, he's got a Facebook group and an amazing website, it's none other than James Dunn, woo!
1: Thank you so much for having me, thanks for the invite, That's it's very kind a of you. no
0: problem, it's great to have you on James, um, how are you today, what have you been up to?
1: Yeah, I'm very well. I'm up here at the uh up at the studio. Just finished a little bit of filming for some upcoming videos. Um I've got a springer spaniel at my feet, Charlie, who is sleeping at the moment and hopefully for the audio's sake it remains that way. But um yeah, it's it's, it's nice. I mean, we're here in the UK, so it's nice to be out of what was, I guess, I don't know what the situation is at your end in terms of what level restriction you're in, but oh, nice to be <laughs> first day out of lockdown. So yeah, it's, uh, it's a weird world, but it's good to be able to run
0: yes it's always good to be able to run and we ran throughout as well so that was that's brilliant and I think loads more new people are coming to running which is is really good it's great for you as well because there'll be loads of new people with all these sorts of like injuries and rehab things that that need to get sorted um so uh well um there's loads of people on the live chat already so we'll do some hellos in a minute so if you want to say hello to James then just type it in just now um but first of all I just thought we should set the scene a little bit James like how did you get into it like how long have you been running for? Tell us a little bit about what it is that you do.
1: Well, okay, so I actually started running as a kid. Um, I was fairly, fairly, fair, I'm, I, what people don't know about me a lot of the time until they meet me in person is I'm huge. I'm six foot six. Um, I'm a big, tall guy, not the running guy. Um, and I was a fairly chunky kid and rugby was my thing for a long time. Um, And really it was as a means to get fit for rugby in my teens. And um, it was something I instantly fell in love with. But then when it was evident that rugby was actually going to start doing well for me and I was going to start progressing, um, I was taken to one side and told in no uncertain terms, you are not blessed with natural speed. All this long distance stuff is making you slow. So you need to knock it on the head. Um, and then that was that was that for me for long distance running probably until it was what was it early twenties um, or mid twenties when I finished playing and uh, took the opportunity to actually get back into running um, for me which was you know which was fantastic and uh, during that time when I was playing rugby and at uni I actually started. Well, I actually started at uni doing a sports science degree rather than a sports rehab degree, but soon had my head turned by what, by what my friends were doing, this rehab degree, which looked way more interesting. Decided to bin my first couple of years of sports science, start again with a rehab degree, <laughs> take five years to do a three year a three-year course, and, um, and enjoy playing rugby throughout that. But even still as the rugby guy, this career path into rehab had me working with lots of runners and realizing quite how injured lots of runners find themselves. So fast forward into a graduate job, um, again, found myself in a, working in a physio clinic as a, a rehabber where I was again working with lots of runners. Um, again, transitioning at this point from being the rugby guy into running for myself as well. and um, And I found Seem to by more more by luck than judgment. Kind of found my position in the running world as being someone who I'm not going to break any records with my own running, but hopefully I can help lots of people with their running by simply helping them stay stay injury free. Um, and as with many graduate roles, you get about three years in, you decide that actually you know what I think I want to be doing something for myself, or at least work, you know my time here is done, so it's time to move on. And uh, I decided at that point that starting out my own business, Kinetic Revolution, helping people with their running, um, would be the direction that I'd want to go in. And uh, and that started very much as a, a kind of a personal training type model. You know, I was I was track side and for, you know long hours track side and in uh, personal training studios and this that and the other, helping people both with their training and their injury prevention work, and uh, and realised that I needed. I needed some form of being able to actually reach other runners. You know, this is a business. We need to be able to market this business. So jumped onto Twitter because Twitter. This was 2010. You know, Twitter was probably a bigger deal then than it is now in some respects. Um, started talking to loads of runners, triathletes, etc., and, um, and and thought that okay, this is this seems to be working. So the online thing, I enjoy it. I can I can meet and connect with lots of fellow runners who again I can help so that's great so let's start a blog and I kind of took this as a an opportunity to start as I will put it kind of learning out loud by simply documenting what I'm learning what I'm thinking what I'm um you know I'm, I'm a very different coach now to 10 years ago and there's this on, ongoing learning process and putting it all down into words seemed very cathartic in some respects but also a great way of again connecting with more runners um, and I needed to make videos for that, so I started the YouTube channel, and and that really was just a place to put videos to begin with, rather than something I wanted to grow. Um, and yeah, then some ten years down the line, it's it's grown quite naturally to a point where there are lots of runners, evidently, who are um, who are benefiting, you know, which is lovely to see comments and things like that from uh, the various videos and blog posts and this that and the other. Um, and you know, it's nice to be able to, yes, whilst I'm running for myself and you know, finishing multiple marathons and uh, and really these days going down the route of running i like the idea of kind of i think this is going to be right on your your up your street the idea of kind of running to explore mm. rather than running for uh, i don't know i feel like i'm a bit done with trying to hit the new p the <laughs> next pb
0: yeah um, i think you reach that point don't you where you're just like well i've done yes. that bit and now i'm just going to enjoy myself
1: <laughs> exactly i mean ask me in six months i'll probably change my tune on that one but <laughs> I, I like the idea of, of of just kind of running for running sake in some respects and, um, and just knowing that my place in the running world is this is for me and there's this whole big thing that can help other runners do their thing. That seems like a bit of a long rambling explanation. But does that help?
0: <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. And it's just fantastic that you've got this YouTube channel. It's, if, if you don't know of it already, I know that we have got quite a few fans in the audience here tonight um, that do follow you and they think you're great. Um, but if you haven't seen James's YouTube channel, it's just called James Dunn, Run Strong Injury Free. There's new running videos each week and you've got 108,000 subscribers, which is really impressive. Um, and there's tons on here. And it's just, I'm just like looking through ankle strengthening, knee exercises, Mo Farah's running technique, Eliad Kipchoge's core strength workout, like weak, how to fix weak glutes. There's just such a ton of free information on there. So if you haven't already subscribed to James Dunn YouTube, on YouTube, then definitely hit that button right now.
1: I'm not afraid of poking a bit of fun at myself either. So go back and have a look at some of the 2014, 2015 videos. Honestly, if anyone's thinking about starting a YouTube channel, but is worried about going on camera, I literally look like I've just fallen out of bed in some of those videos. Um, so if you, want to get, if you want to laugh, on one hand, go look, on the other hand, please don't.
0: Yeah, that's the thing that some YouTubers do, don't they? they? When they're like 10 years in or five years in or whatever, they go and look back at their old videos and they do a video of them reacting to their old videos. And sometimes yeah, they do they're so embarrassing, they just delete them. <laughs> <laughs> but I never would it's all content isn't it you don't want yeah, exactly. to lose those views <laughs> um, exactly. you've got a lot of fans here tonight so I'm just going to give you a little sense of who's watching because we've got lots of people mm. watching now and then we'll get into just the whole question of why runners get injured so much and then we'll go through a few questions from um, my patrons as well so we've got Adrian Orange says that he is a big fan of yours James and um, he says it's taking a while to wade through all of your videos there's so many isn't there Great. One or two. One or two. Yeah. <laughs> uh Robin Townsend says good evening as well. Let's just add her to the broadcast. And then we've got Brad Rush. Um uh, we've got Robert Mills who is a fan of James very helpful videos he says um, uh, Hannah's here she says her daughter is with her she's wanting to be a bit nosy <laughs> <laughs> um, Antonio Cardinelli is here Chris Williams is here John Garden is here all the way from the U- USA and he's got a question for you later as well I know um, very good. Seb Schoenenbeck's here um, from Germany we've got Rich Simpson here he says nice to see James James, relaxed Um, thank you for all your hints and tips James
1: you're very welcome it's (laughs) nice to see some familiar familiar uh, if not faces familiar names
0: ah that's cool Adam Kinsley is here as well and he says hey James love your work so you obviously did a good job of promoting the fact that you were on tonight, so that's fantastic. <laughs> um, so, yeah, should we just start with, like, we were talking, you just mentioned this before in your intro, like, progressing from the rugby world to the running world, Yeah, like, you'd think that rugby players would get way more injuries than runners, but it seems like runners get injured all the time, like, do you, in your experience, why do you think that is?
1: I think there's two different things to unpack there. I think firstly, and the really simple one is that different sports, different injuries. Um, I think from a, a rugby point of view or any any contact sport, any collision sport, you know, naturally as well as the fact it's kind of multi directional sport, you're gonna see very different injuries to the types that we see in runners. Yeah, you know, with runners, we're not dealing with concussions. Fingers crossed. Yes. You know, We're not. De- we're not dealing with. Blown well, I do out. wear my
0: cycle habit whenever I run, so that should be fine.
1: <laughs> we um, we're not dealing with blown out knee ligaments and stuff like that. You know, whereas with runners, it's all overuse, or the vast majority is overuse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, there may be an ankle sprain here and there, and especially you know if we're talking fell runners, that sort of thing, you know, maybe more prevalent than the most, but that's a lot of the time down to, if we're talking about road runners with, with ankle sprains, that's a lot of the time down to bad luck. Whereas really what we're seeing again and again is your typical overuse injuries. So things like your ITB syndrome, things like shin splints, things like Achilles tendinopathies, recurring calf strains, you know, all that sort of thing, we can put them down to the, the, rep- the repetitive and cyclical nature of running gait. And that really is the kind of the, the bottom line. When you then, over, I suppose the thing not to ignore is obviously the fact that it's heavily load bearing, right? That's, if we, those three things together, we say, right, we are doing something which is really impactful, we're doing it high volume, and we're doing it in a, four, in a pattern, in terms of your running form, that has not got a great deal of variance in it. Okay, if we're talking about just running on largely flat pavements, and it's the same Pattern, like your individual running form, again and again and again and again. All of a sudden, these things are going to add up. And if there's something which is going to predispose your, let's say, your patellofemoral joint, so your your kneecap, um, for you're going to predispose that to be an area that really starts to take a uh, a disproportionate load, then we may see a, a case see a case of a runner's knee beginning to brew up a little bit. Um, interestingly, on that note as well, in my experience, I see far fewer recurring uh, or far fewer um, repetitive overuse injuries is what I'm looking for in trail runners Mm. than I do road runners and I'm absolutely convinced that it's the variation. Mm. It's the fact you're it doesn't have to be super technical trail right but the fact you're off road and you're just mixing up the workout that your foot gets and not just foot you know the whole way up the chain gets with every stride because it's slightly different compared to flat tarmac, flat concrete, flat or whatever, um, it makes such a difference. Would, would you agree in terms of, because yeah. I know that yeah, that's your world,
0: yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um I believe it's been scientifically proven that trail running is better for you both in terms of like the you don't get as much um shock through the joints on the softer surfaces and then obviously the uneven terrain under your feet just creates a different foot strike every single time so using slightly different muscles to stabilize and as you said like right the way up through the chain from the foot all the way up. So so yeah, trail runners rock basically. <laughs>
1: pretty much and it's something you know, i was invited last year was it last year it must have been last year to love trails um, oh yeah and, love trails festival uh, hadn't yeah had an absolute blast if you don't know about it yeah check it out. i was there
0: uh, i don't i can't believe i didn't see well, you I
1: didn't see. <laughs> we, we, we met i don't know if you remember this but we met briefly at the running awards a few years ago but
0: oh, other than that yes
1: it was the one you were hosting the um the bloggers forum it was the oh one at the yes O2. uh-huh
0: yes,
1: yes. um but and Yeah, it would have been nice to have uh, to seen you there, but obviously yeah. we didn't cross paths. Yeah, um, yeah.
0: I was running about mainly, like actually out on runs. Were you doing a talk in the tents?
1: I did. So I was literally there for one day. I was oh, okay. flying fly out because yeah. I had other things going on. But I did an early morning running technique workshop, oh, um, which wow. was, I was really taken aback at how well supported that was. So that was nice. Um, and then I did a, I did, I did a lead, as in I was leading, um, seven mile was it seven mile or seven k? Either way, um, trail run. Which, if it was seven k, it felt like seven miles. Put it like that. I, <laughs> I kind of wanted to know who had written that afterwards. Who had written that map? Which was a bit. I don't know. Maybe we didn't follow it so well. Yeah, they swapped um, miles. For k's. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it's something I want to get back into or do more of, certainly. Um, but that said, it's not something that even road runners need to. Um, if, you, if you are out and out road runner, and you're hearing me say that trail runners get injured less often and it's because of the variation in landing surface, you can certainly go and try and add more trail into your life. That would be great. I think that's great from a everything point of view, head not least. But also um, know that you can get a similar kind of outcome just by playing a little bit with running shoe rotation. It's exactly the same idea. If you've got a few pairs of running shoes Um, which they don't have to be polar opposites in terms of types of shoe. But if you've got a few different pairs that offer just a slightly different ride, and you're not gonna do all your running in one and then change to do all your running in the other, but you're going to rotate them a little bit throughout your week and as the weeks roll on, then just know that as you do so, it's the same idea that your foot and everything further up will get a slightly different workout with those different shoes. So don't wear something that's inappropriate for the session you're doing or the surface you're on. But if you if you have the luxury of having a few pairs that are in different stages of their of their lives, don't just gravitate to one until it, until they're dead. Yeah. Um, instead, mix it around a little bit and know that that variation will do a, a great deal of good.
0: Oh, that's so interesting. I've I've literally interviewed like people for years and years and I've never heard anybody say that. So that's really amazing. And I suppose trail runners are doing that anyway because of the different types of trail run and race that you can get. There's often people that will go to a trail race with like a boot of shoes, like maybe three pairs, maybe even five pairs of shoes. And then they'll look at the weather, the what the terrain is like on that race and like basically the weather, is it going to be muddy or not? And they'll select the shoes depending on what the conditions are so trail runners are doing not only the uneven terrain but they're also doing the shoe swapping just naturally I think
1: so that's that's
0: really cool yeah yeah and so we've established that runners get injured a lot um and you do a lot of rehab for the injuries but is there like one major thing that people can do to prevent that injury even happening in the first place like if you could only do if you could just tell people to do one thing what would that be
1: it would be the thing that I speak about the least on my channel. It would be, <laughs>
0: <laughs> which,
1: which probably needs to change. Um, because a lot of the time I'm talking about running form and I'm talking about preventative and rehab exercises, strength, stability, mobility, and all that stuff has a massively important place. But the reason runners get injured is training error. It's oh, as simple really? as that. Um, you can You can talk about, okay, my... My left foot does this, and my right hip does that. Um, but if you're not, if you're staying well within your own individual envelope of getting away with it, comfort zone in terms of weekly volume or long run duration or intensity of speed work, then it doesn't really matter. You're going to get away with it. Until such time, that's why we see lots of people who, you know, they can run regular park run, perhaps perhaps they run twice a week. So a regular park run, the midweek run. Um, and they don't see themselves as serious runners. They don't do any stretching. They don't do any strength work. Um, but they're not taking their body to a point where it's an issue, until they sign up for a half marathon with their mates, or they sign up for a marathon, and all of a sudden they take their own individual kind of biomechanical profile and then stretch it outside of that envelope of what they can get away with. And then all of a sudden we find that hmm, what I said earlier about my knee being the, the patellofemoral joint, being the area that in this theoretical runner perhaps takes the brunt because of the, the various biomechanical factors that leave it slightly more um, exposed, for want of a better word. That becomes an issue when the training load steps up to that point. The good thing is though, about us as humans, let alone us as runners, is that we adapt incredibly, incredibly well. And if we take the time, if we know that regular 5K Jane is here, and she wants to be Marathon Jane over here, if we take the time on that journey to allow our body to, or to respect our body enough so that we progress at the rate that it will st- become more resilient, for want of a better word, then you're gonna have a much better journey and a much better outcome than if you say, okay, cool, I probably left it a little bit late to start with this marathon, and I, I've got this 16-week program, great i've still got 20 weeks but i need to take these four weeks to get from a point where i'm pretty happy kind of dawdling around a 5k to a point where i need to be able to do that eight mile run at the first weekend of the 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 16 mile marathon plan how am i going to bridge that gap I'm going to just overextend and start out overextended and then progress f- faster than my body's ready to because I've already overextended and then we're going to see a problem. Does, does that make sense?
0: Yeah, so basically uh, most injuries are people not doing things gradually enough.
1: Yeah, and making, making big jumps in terms of... So volume, frequency and intensity. So making big jumps in terms of one or many of those factors at once. Um, so if you... Think about, I was actually, I literally released a video a few days on this, a few days ago on this about training for your first marathon or or stepping up race distance full stop. If you're stepping up race distance, let's say the context is training for your first marathon, then regardless of the different speed sessions you could do, the big thing that really matters is your weekly volume and your long run. If you forget know that your pace will improve over the course of 16 to 18 weeks just by being consistent and working on getting longer 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 basically spending more time in this aerobic zone you're gonna get you're gonna in the context of being a first-time marathoner you're going to get faster if you do that whilst at the same time also get convinced by your mates who are training for a 10k to come on wednesday night to their track session which you're not used to doing, or perhaps you've been doing that for the last six to eight weeks and you are used to it, but that's still intensity work. When you're also pushing yourself from a volume point of view, you may well find that all of a sudden you're kind of burning the candle at both ends. Yeah. So I often encourage people just to just dial back on the intensity. Know that the improvement will come just by the volume, um, and just focus on kind of if if frequency, volume, and intensity are different levers. You can just pull one lever at a time. You don't need to pull yeah. two levers at a time and just let your body adapt as you go. And just the, the beauty of this, again, i mentioned rugby earlier. You, as, a, as a rugby player, you've got a shelf life until what, mid thirties maybe? To be, to be like decent level. We can do this for as long as we want. Like we can be, the vast majority, myself included, yourself included, um, and the vast majority of people watching this, we're not trying to go elite with our running. We're trying to run perhaps short-term PBs, but long-term longevity and long-term health and well-being. And we've got time to progress. And if we can just respect that um, and listen to our bodies and give it time off as is needed, or not time off, but often talk about adaptation weeks. So pushing for two or three weeks and then backing off for a week, then pushing and backing off. Give yourself that periodic chance for your body to catch up. That's how we prevent running injuries. Now, I know I'm going off on a bit of a rant, okay? <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's fine, it's, everyone's really enjoying it. <laughs> Robin Townsend um, says that sounds exactly where, like where her issue with her knee has come from. Um, so yeah, she, she thinks that that's um, what's been happening to her.
1: Yeah, well, good, I'm glad that, that kind of resonates. But once you, if that's the kind of the foundation thing to figure out, Right, the, the rate of progression and, and the, the listening to your body as much as anything else to, to give it the time to, to, um, uh, to adapt as we apply the training load. The next thing really comes off the back, and I know lots of people will be really familiar with this because it's what we all go through one time or another as a runner, is that if and when an injury occurs, Let's say we're talking about um, again. Okay, let's stick with the knee, the knee situation. Let, let's stick with that patellofemoral pain. Let's say that we're now dealing with a case of runner's knee. There's a learning experience to be had there. The physio is going to say, right, okay, what what strength work have you been doing? Um, and underpinning this whole thing, I'm not to say don't do it. I'm just just saying like this is really important. But the big thing is the training load. That's the kind of the one thing that I that you asked me to choose. Um, But now that we know what your individual weak link is, like because you've probably seen this, I've seen this. Running friends, running clients, runners who they know that if they step it up, it's going to be my Achilles, it's going to be my shin. It's going to be in my knee. They can predict it because they've got the experience. Um, And I'm not saying experience, they've been running for 10 years, they've had the experience of last time I tried this, this is what happened. Mm -hmm. So we often individually have our kind of areas of um, single point of failure, if you like. (laughs) Um, So you can take that and say, right, I know that I need to start working on all the different factors that can protect my knee going forwards. So I need to be looking at hip stability. I need to be looking at quad strength. I need to be looking at balance between quads and hamstrings. I need to be like making sure that from a foot upwards perspective, am I in the right shoes? Do I need perhaps something from an orthotic perspective? Um, So to go see a podiatrist to to take a look at your your foot mechanics. Um, What can I do and what exercises can I do to help myself look after that knee? That's where we go from non-specific general running strength conditioning to prehab work where you can say right this is my tendency this is where I tend to get injured this is what I need to um, to what's the word uh, can't remember this is what I need to protect basically
0: yeah. To prehab. Yeah. Yeah, Does
1: that, do you see what
0: I'm saying? Yeah, to pre strengthen. Yeah. It's interesting that you said that the the training increase is one of the biggies because we have a question from Flo, one of my patrons, and she says, um, uh, James, how how do you know if you are increasing your volume, running volume, too quickly um, before it is too late and before you're injured? So, yeah, I suppose you've said, yes, this is the thing that happens, but how do you know? if you're doing
1: it? How do you know? So the good thing about having, um, (laughs) the good thing about running injuries, if there is a good thing about running injuries, in comparison to sports where the injuries are more traumatic in nature, is that they don't, it's not just, they don't just come out of nowhere. Um, You can learn over time to pick up the kind of the the warning signs. Um, And you can begin, if you're starting to, if you're starting to, step over that thin line in terms of pushing the volume too much or combine volume, frequency, intensity too much, then you're going to probably notice that there are areas that weren't previously getting tight. There are bits in the morning in the first few steps that never used to feel like that. Um, and there are, um, there are aches and pains and niggles and kind of training aches that take longer to go away post run than they would do normally. And this is where experience comes in. And this is where it's a really difficult kind of, it's a subjective kind of question to answer rather than having a real clear objective answer. But if you learn to listen to your body and learn to understand what your normal is, and learn to understand what your normal pattern is from a recovery perspective, because we do need to stress the body, we do need to recover, um, we do need to almost feel that, those kind of training aches, you know, we shouldn't be afraid of them in any way, but know what they normally feel like for you. And then once you know what normal is, you can identify abnormal. And if you can see a correlation between, hmm, this hurt, or this took longer to recover from, and that's why I did this training week, then that's where we can start to see patterns. And pattern recognition is really important. So encouraging people to, to start a training diary would be a really good step as well. And not just a training diary in terms of, um, in terms of literally logging miles or logging, logging sessions and paces, etc., or, 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 um, uploading to Strava and walking away. But, and you can do this on Strava as well, depending on how much you want to put out there, but you can really start to document your feelings around the run, what you're feeling post run recovery, as well as the mental side of it as well. The, uh, you know, the motivation, as much as anything else, yeah. How how did the not just how did the run feel, but did you have to drag yourself out of the door, or were you raring to go? And we all go through these different kind of ups and downs. But if you're beginning to kind of get into a place where it's not necessarily um, you need a break, or you need to you need to take a week a week an easier week, then you may well feel it up here as much as anywhere else. I certainly know that in the biggest marathon blocks that I've done. Um, I usually work on a, th- a three week push, one week easy, three week push, one week easy pattern. And at the end of week three, I'm done with running. Uh, <laughs> but by the end of that fourth week, where I've taken an easy week, um, and I've still, you know, I, I, try, I try and run the same number of times per week in that easy week, I just dial everything down. Um, so I'm still running, but my body feels better, my head feels better about running, um, and I'm good to push again. if I treated it just as a linear here's you know minus 16 weeks from marathon day here's marathon day linear progression I'd be done around about here and I probably wouldn't even get (laughs) I don't know if this would be head or body but I'd be done yeah Um, yeah
0: both probably (laughs) and so do you um Adrian Orange is asking on the live chat um do you do the whole 10% weekly progression um in both your training and, and the strength training both running and and strength um, and then really you're option. doing the ten percent and then you're dipping so three weeks ten percent ten percent ten percent, and then down and then again rising up
1: It's a good rule of thumb um it's not always it's not always easy obviously to be to be bang on sometimes you creep slightly over sometimes you're obviously slightly <laughs> under usually the week so let's take if we're talking about long run, for example, I'll often go. Um, so if we're talking week 1, week 2, week 3, week 4, week 5, week 6, I'm often doing something like um, this is week 1 not being week 1 of the program, but of this example, um, i do 14, 16, 18 down to 10, then I'll do 16, 18, 20. So I'm, I'm always, I'm not picking up where I leave off, if that yeah. makes sense, Yeah. Um, but yeah, is it 10% not strictly? um but the principle is more there i'm more interested in 10 percent when it comes to weekly mileage rather than long run distance or duration um mm-hmm. that that for me is slightly more important um and then from strength point of view the majority of strength work and again strength is one of those kind of broad terms that, that a lot of us use and i try and pick myself up for saying it depending on the the the, the situation i'm in um A lot of times you say strength when we mean stability or mean neuromuscular control or mean sometimes we'll even just band in mobility and we're there because it's just an easy term, strength. We all know what we're talking about. It's the non-running supplementary work. A lot of that work isn't dealing with external loads. So I'm not looking at how much am I squatting? How much am I X, Y, Z? So it's hard to really start to quantify that other than looking at things like um you know sets and reps Mm -hmm. now with the sets and reps generally speaking i I don't um when if i'm in the middle of a marathon plan or something like that i don't worry too much about the rate of progression through that because i'm not looking for for strict overload in the way in which we'd be looking to overload if we were doing a a weights based out and out strength program um, I'm more interested, and this is what I mean by saying strength is a bit of a broad term. I'm more interested in looking at the quality of range of motion. I'm more interested in looking at the, the control of that range of motion. So looking at the, the neuromuscular control of the exercises, particularly things like our single leg exercises, um, and working, working with those kind of parameters rather than looking specifically at how much am I, how much am I lifting, how many reps am I doing. Um, if I want to make it harder, I could just slow it down. I could be talking about time under tension, rather than talking about number of sets and reps. So it, it gets a little bit difficult in that respect. Um, and that's where an interesting conversation for another day or later on could be had around, you know, when is it good to lift weights as a runner versus when yeah. would I not?
0: Yeah, we've actually got a question about that. Um, Becky McCoy, she says, um, I followed James's Kinetic page for a while um, and there are some absolutely fantastic resources for us on there. Um, She started your 30-day programme as well, but she never got around to finishing it, so uh, she's going to do it in the new year as a resolution. Um, she, She says, her question to you is what does your typical week look like in terms of the balance between the running and the cross training and the strength training?
1: So it kind of changes week by week a little bit Um, but I try and get out on a regular basis to try and hit kind of three of running, three of strength slash mobility work in the week Um, and then we've so for lockdown specifically, we actually moved a uh, Concept2 rowing machine into the house. Oh. So I'm trying to get on that a couple of times per week as well for a bit of bit of non uh, non weight bearing cardio as well. So that's that's something I've always really enjoyed. So it's nice to do that. Yeah. So a good a good breakdown of three runs per week, three run specific prehab, I suppose we could call it um, per week is a nice way of looking at that. And I just try and make of those three runs, try and make again we're looking back across lockdown really we're just trying to make one of those a um a kind of a middle long run rather than a long long run if you see what i mean um very very different to whether i'm actually marathon training this is more more it's been more of a ticking over period for me more than anything else
0: yeah so it sounds like a good balance there as well um and yeah. i think a lot of people these days um whether you're working from home now or still going to the office, um, a lot of us are sitting down a lot. Um, it has even been called the the new smoking, hasn't it, Sitting's the new smoking, yes, so yes. John, John Gardiner has a question for you, I think he's watching tonight as well, so that's great. Um, he says, how does James recommend those of us who have been sitting forever at work to begin to improve our hip mobility for running? Um, besides standing more and sitting less. (laughs) So I'm guessing he doesn't have access to a a standing desk, poor thing.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so so, I mean, you kind of... took the first point I was going to make is around just trying to change those patterns. You know, if you you can find a way, um, which I know isn't the answer to the question for John, so (laughs) apologies for starting there. It might be for other
0: people.
1: Yeah, exactly. You can find a way. Standing desk. Um, I've been known at home just to go into the kitchen and um our fridge freezer is perfect for me just plop the the laptop on perfect you are very tall
0: though you said didn't you (laughs) i am very tall exactly
1: so it's um yeah that's a certainly i just find one way or another finding a way of just changing it up is certainly helpful but other than that I do try and make time if I know that I'm going to be at the desk or or just generally laptop bound one way or another for hours on end, um, I try and set myself alarms um, just to get out and and go for walks um, and just start to, you know, again, it doesn't all have to be running, right? Time on feet is time on feet. So getting out and just moving the body goes a hell of a long way. Um, And then on top of that, getting more specific about really looking at specific workouts. There are a number of workouts on my YouTube channel, a number of little collections of mobility exercises, which are very hip focused, um, which will just start to get you into better routine when it comes to mitigating the effect of being sat down. So lots of hip flexor stretching, um, a bit of hamstring stretching as well, won't go amiss. I think if you can really start to hit lower back, hamstrings, hip flexors, um, in quads, then that's going to take you a heck of a long way. And something we see a lot of, um, in my experience at least, is runners who find themselves one way or another desk bound and end up with pretty tight hips, they often are the ones, naturally they're the ones who are often also told, oh, we need to get you working the glutes, your glutes aren't working properly, blah, blah, blah. That's been spoken about to death. But what I see is that the next kind of level to that is they're often the runners who come in talking about lower leg problems, talking about lots of calf problems, Achilles problems, because when you're running, if you're not able to get the the propulsive push, the propulsive drive out of those all-important posterior chain muscles, glutes, hamstrings, then you're going to find the propulsion from elsewhere, and you're going to find yourself pushing from the ankles more so than pushing from the hip. Um, so a lot of the time, I find that getting people actually working harder to improve their hip mobility often actually makes their calves and their ankles their achilles much happier as well so yeah i would um, yeah i suggest just jumping into trying to think if there's a a playlist on the on the um youtube channel i'll link
0: to it in the description below and if you're listening to this on the podcast i'll put it in the podcast show notes as well yeah, go. I'll find
1: it and I'll send you it, Claire, after this. Oh, okay, because, that sounds great. Um,
0: well, John's actually listening live right now and he says, I am actually standing right now at work. He's in America, so they haven't finished work yet. Um, but he says, I have a couple of decades of sitting to correct, alas. <laughs>
1: got you. Yeah, that's, um, it's just consistency. Yeah. I think there's, there's it, it takes time. It certainly takes time, but um, it's not about the good thing for us is we're not training through the splits right and yeah. the, the 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 reason i bring that up is my girlfriend's actually done i say girlfriend fiance now is actually a um, Congratulations. dance instructor. <laughs> yeah well it feels it feels like uh we went to get married in the oh. middle of the summer so oh yeah poor anyway. you. Yeah.
0: yeah
1: so next year next yeah year, anyway um what was I gonna say yes she's a dance instructor so yeah. she is constantly working on our flexibility and it is wow. slow progress definitely but the good thing is as runners we don't need to go mm. into this kind of realm of hardcore developmental stretching um, we can work more so on just a lot of times maintaining what we've got and just starting to undo some of those imbalances that come from de- the daily in daily in and out um, of uh, of being sat behind a desk all day and yeah. that comes a lot easier with a bit of, bit of consistent training than the sort of work that she's trying to do in terms of developing her yeah. splits, etc., etc.
0: She's completely different. Um, well, Robin Townsend is really pleased that she joined the broadcast because she says, I'm still sitting here in my office chair. <laughs> so she says she's glad <laughs> she joined this session. Hopefully she's going to be able to stand up soon. And I think uh, we've got one of your, probably one of your own admirers, um somebody called Narrowboat Long Pod says, he is tall. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if you recognize that name from your YouTube channel. I
1: recognize the name. I do recognize the <laughs>
0: He's a big fan, I think it's a he, I just assumed that it might not be a he. so she, let's just move on to a little bit of lower back pain here because we've got a question from Hannah who I think is watching as well just now um oh it's her girl's bedtime so she is struggling to watch but she was on earlier I did see her um she can watch back later but she's saying um she wants to ask you about lower back pain after an ultra she had it um when she did 30 by mi- when she does more than 30 miles um and she does that through a mix of walking and running so um she's doing the Lakeland 50. Uh, next year it's Mm -hmm. her first uh, 50 miler so she's just wondering if you recommend anything for um, lower back pain after ultras that she could work on prior
1: yeah okay so initially the way what what i thought you were saying there was um, anything for afterwards so but it sounds like yeah. also now it's actually what she can work on beforehand
0: yeah so, oh sorry yeah. i mean she gets the lower back pain after the ultra I got, um yeah. so is there anything she can do now to sort of stop that happening after her next one i suppose yeah
1: yeah no i got you um so the thing about being on your feet for so long um you know I, and i i kind of got a feel for this a little bit uh, interesting I'm, I'm actually considering doing my first ultra next uh, yeah, oh, next year so amazing. That could be, that could oh, be
0: are you going to I film know. it are you going to make a film of it and put it on your YouTube channel
1: Mm, not sure that seems that seems more your territory to be honest with you, I'm I'm pretty happy in the studio back there (laughs) just popping a camera up and doing some exercises yeah but um get yourself one of
0: these and take it with you yeah we could always Um, pop it on my channel and then direct a load more people to yours
1: (laughs) that would be cool um but yeah I'm not trying to make it about me but the the story I was going to tell was that I helped my fiance Paul um, around her first marathon, Rotterdam, um, and she finished that in 4:47, um, which, I mean, my my PB. I wasn't in PB shape at that time. My PB is 3:26, wow. um, so that was a lot more time on my feet than I'm used to, mm. and it gave me a real gave me a real appreciation, to be honest, and a real respect, more so. Not that I was lacking respect for them, but I you know, just had more for your kind of towards the back of the Packers because of the amount of time they're on their feet. Um, and I, I kind of say to people that those, to, you know, especially those who kind of haven't run a marathon, that just because those who are winning their marathon, so these guys, you know, the guys who won Rotterdam, what were they two? I don't know. It's was, it was probably sub two ten. Certainly, um, yes, they're running fast. But they're working just as hard as someone who's finished five hours, um, who's working at their at the end of their capacity as well and pushing themselves hard. They're just doing it for three hours longer. Yeah. So yeah, you know, I'm not saying that it's easy for these guys who are running fast. <laughs> really, they're, they're digging deep, especially, you know
0: yeah. they're, they're
1: working really hard. they're
0: rubbish. <laughs> they can only do it for two hours. Yeah. <laughs>
1: But yeah, do, do you see what I'm saying? Though it's it's, mm. it, it's certainly illustrated this point that intellectually Definitely. I knew, um, but and there's no substitute for personal experience. That yeah. getting out and and you remember all the hoo-ha a couple of years ago with um, the the back of the Packers at London, the, the oh. disrespect that they got. Yeah. Um, and I just found that really hard to take because it's just so much time on the feet, and the time on the feet naturally your low back is such a crossroads in the body. Okay, so. All the movement we're doing as runners, one way or another, it passes through the lower back. So by the sounds of it, from what, I can't remember the questioner's name, but by the sounds of it, from what Hannah said, um, it sounds muscular. This is with a big caveat, right? Uh-huh. I haven't seen you, Hannah. I'm not, I'm not. I haven't assessed you, Hannah, blah, blah, blah. But the way you describe it coming on sort of later in a race and it feeling tired perhaps I'm putting words in the mouth there feeling tight afterwards it sounds like kind of muscular tightness that's come on through fatigue and time on the feet so that then begs the question of is there any conditioning work that you could be doing simple exercises um, like your kind of superman holds those sorts of things lying face down on the ground and just working on strengthening the muscle of the lower back that's great and just general conditioning work would certainly be worth working on but there's also nothing that's going to replicate the actual demands of spending longer on your feet with whatever you got to carry with you, et cetera, et cetera. So that's where I'd start looking at, well, what can I do in terms of my training to start firstly factoring in that regular strength strengthening type, targeted strengthening exercises throughout the um, throughout the period, but also are you doing enough perhaps back-to-back long weekends, um, those sorts of things. You know, I'm not an advocate particularly for for saying ultra runners need to go out and and do, you know, I do think there's a place for the mental side of it, training-wise, going out and doing long kind of six, eight-hour runs out in the, out in the, out in the mountains out in the hills, certainly, but I think a lot of people can get a lot of work done by saying, right, this Saturday and Sunday, I'm doing back-to-back long, neither of those are going to be longer than four, four and a half hours, but... I'm gonna be that second day, I'm gonna be fatigued, I'm gonna get it done anyway. You get the benefit of breaking that pattern in terms of the repested loading that would otherwise be there if you were doing eight hours on your feet. Yeah. But you also, so whilst you've broken that pattern and you've had a chance to refuel, et cetera, et cetera, you also have that effect of almost replicating the back end of the eight by getting up with tired legs, tired body the next day and going and putting Again, the load in, and I wonder if that would help to um, to start to kind of uh, shield you from that from that low back pain. Yeah. Um, just getting out, and I suppose it's kind of dosed exposure, right? That's yeah. the way to that's the way to term it. Um, so do the strength work, lots of core work, obviously, you know, all the, the stuff that you'd expect me to say in terms of core strengthening. Get perhaps regular Pilates classes, all those sorts of things. You've noticed I, I mentioned the knee earlier in terms of my theoretical example of someone who's finding that's their weak link. You've identified that your low back is your weak link. Okay, what are we going to do about this? Well, we know that glutes are really important to, to help to stabilize the pelvis and look after the low back. Great, we can work on that. We know our core muscles are really important. Get yourself to a Pilates class if you want some instruction and, and direction. That'll take, take you a long way. I mean, find some taught Pilates classes on YouTube, for goodness sake. There's, there's so much you could do. Um, and then you know, look at that as not being a silver bullet. I guess that's really where I'm going with this. This is the supporting work, but given that it's the back end of your ultra and you've got leg like 50 to do um, in the preparation for that, just think: right, dose, dose exposure. What do I need to do to mean that my back is up to task?
0: yeah that sounds like really good advice and and everybody is agreeing on the live chat we've got like loads of pings popping up paul hamilton says really interesting stuff um and uh hannah says uh, she said yes it was fine immediately afterwards but saw the next day so yeah she's going to try some of that stuff she says um she says i have many weak links to be honest
1: <laughs> so yeah Hannah, do me a favour, if it's, um, I'm, I'm glad you're still on here, but if it is anything other than feels like muscular, kind of tightness, stiffness, achiness, if there's any kind of pins and needles, anything shooting down to the back of your leg, anything kind of sciatic in nature like that, um, definitely get it checked out. You know, there's, the lower back isn't something to mess around with, um, and there are many different causes for lower back pain. Um, it just sounds like, from the, from the limited information you've said, it just sounds like it's muscular, which is... There's a good one to have that's probably the best one to have
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome well loads of people are agreeing timothy roper says back-to-back long trail runs uh sounds like a great idea um Stephen hughes has just popped up to say nice to see you again james and thanks for the ultra tips um and oh you know we um we had a, a message from narrowboat long pod earlier um he says um they he met you at the running show and he is called mike ship
1: mike yes <laughs> yeah mike, funnily enough, buddy i was actually thinking about you the other day um i <laughs> can't remember the context but i literally was thinking i think i was just thinking about the running show um to be honest with you and how it seems like a different time but yeah. um yeah no mike it was nice to meet you hopefully we'll see you again
0: awesome you obviously made a really good impression mike um so yeah hopefully the running show will go ahead fingers crossed at the end of February, it's who knows? Yeah, hopefully uh, something will happen anyway. Um, and Paul Hamilton says, "I am doing my first ultra next year." This, so this is really useful advice, James. Thank you. So. No brilliant well so now I want to ask you a little bit about like recovery um because we've got like about three people three patrons basically if you're asking a question on the live chat um sorry for ignoring you I am just prioritizing the questions from my patrons who support the channel um every single month so um so yes if you want to make sure that your question gets answered by our wonderful guests like James here then um then you've got to support me on patreon which is uh patreon.com slash wild ginger running um so- so, we've got uh, Adrian Camilleri wants to know um, about those weird-shaped gun-shaped gun recovery massage devices that look awfully appealing, if unbelievably expensive. <laughs> so, yeah, what is your opinion on those?
1: So, it'd be interesting um, to kind of pull back the curtain a little bit. The It'd be interesting to know if you get a similar situation, but... You would not believe the number of emails that I get from people who evidently are getting a white-labeled version of a massage gun made in China who decide that they want me to to promote it. Literally, at the moment, probably two a week for the last twelve <laughs> weeks or so, um, and I've I have yeah I've politely declined each one of them. Um, <laughs> it seems to be the the in vogue thing to make and sell on Amazon at the moment for for if you're targeting runners um or perhaps sports people in general <laughs> i have only had a limited experience with them um again we're really plugging the running show this time around but again oh, at the vicious. running show um i was assaulted by the guys at the uh, at the i can't remember what the name of the stand was but with the with the massage gun yeah and, is it um, like
0: theragun or something like the theragun, thera- that's, that's theraguns it was. It was theragun. they're like 400 quid or something um yeah, um, I know that one of my coaching clients has got one um, from China, and it was like thirty-five dollars. And he said it's just yeah. as good.
1: <laughs> so, and perhaps it was one of these uh, white leather yeah. ones from China. That, uh, yeah, anyway. probably. Um, I, <laughs> um, I'm kind of old school in my approach. I'm not. I don't know what the science is, particularly, in, or in terms of the. How robust, how robust the science is behind things like a massage gun or things like um, pulse roll, that sort of thing. Mm. Um, I don't know if you know, if, don't know if you know the guys behind pulse roll. Um, no. But
0: what, what is I pulse roll? Feel, I
1: don't know that. Pulse roll. So I kind of feel like we're entering a territory now where just because you can make things vibrate doesn't mean you need to make things vibrate. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's basically a vibrating. Um, vibrating foam roller and i know plenty of people who swear by them for sure and that's fine but i um i'm just not convinced just not convinced i've got no real science to be able to back up my my position about them um yeah. but i know that you can get a lot done with what i use which is a foam roller a the cross ball, a tennis ball and uh, and a golf ball I, I think that's kind of all you need to be honest yeah. uh, i think now as part of my rehab degree I am qualified in sports massage. I haven't used that for probably 12 years now. Um, certainly not, um, yeah, certainly not regularly. I haven't used it, or in a business capacity, I haven't used it. Um, but I do. I certainly know how hard work it is for the poor massage therapist and their hands and their thumbs. Yeah. So, you know, instrument-assisted massage and uh, and, and things like massage gun. From the other side of the equation, from a uh, from a, a delivery point of view, I can certainly see the benefit. Um, I'm just not convinced. Yeah, not convinced that it's that much better than what you can get done for yourself.
0: Yes, yeah. Well, we've got Brad Rush asking on the live chat: Have you ever used an R8 roller? Um, is that the foam roller with like the really big teeth? Um...
1: Um, I've used foam rollers, but I don't specifically. I'm not familiar with the R8 specifically, but.
0: I'll, I'll just Google it again, and see what it is.
1: What else you <laughs> yeah, go for it. Um, I, yeah, various different phone rollers, various different sizes of find helpful to you know, targets of different areas. Um, yeah, I think that's helpful. I'm in a lucky position where I have got a kind of menagerie of, of phone rollers out the back there, which I do kind of choose different ones for different areas. But um, again, I think if you pick one up with various different surfaces, um, then that in itself will will give you a nice variation yes but no I'm, I, I, let me see if i can find the r8 myself right i here. found it. You
0: have it yeah i'll okay. put a picture up on screen um you probably know of it it's the one which um it goes it kind of clamps around your leg um it's it's like two, oh, yes. two rollers in one yeah if you get it up as well okay. um I yeah. know exactly what you mean. So it's. Yeah, um, so. I tried one in America um, in a running shop and it just, I'd just done the downhill of the Pikes Peak. So I'd run 13 miles okay. downhill at altitude and it was my, um, I had really bad DOMs, worse than I've ever had before in my thighs. And I put that on it and it was excruciating because it just went clamp and then it rolled up and down. And yeah. I was like, oh my God, this is terrifying. Um, so yeah, I've used one <laughs> and it really hurt, Brad.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, I, I haven't used one, but I certainly, yeah, I've just also Googled and, and seen exactly what you're talking about. And yeah, they look like, they look like they'd like uh, they serve a purpose, for sure. Um, it's funny you mentioned your quads. The guys who showed me at the, uh, the running, the, not running, was the running show, um, showed me the massage gun. First, they went in for traps, so up here, fine. Quite nice, quite pleasant, but yeah, whatever. Then, and I was having a conversation, so this guy was behind me with the massage gun doing this, I was having a conversation face-to-face with, do you know Luke, Luke Taberski? Oh yeah, um, yeah, with the yeah, funny and hat was, and
0: the little yeah, thing on the, good, yeah.
1: <laughs> good friend of mine, so yeah, I was having a conversation with Luke, and unbeknownst to me, the guy then decided that the next thing I logically needed doing was my calves, oh. and I swear to you, the guy nearly, he nearly wore a size whatever shoe at that point it was that's my kryptonite people massaging or foam rolling my calves uh,
0: especially without warning
1: (laughs) yeah exactly exactly so um no to answer your question, I haven't used one um, yeah. but we we're gonna we we're gonna talk uh a little about uh foam rollers in general and, and yes. recovery, etc yeah uh, I Craig Webb
0: wanted to ask you about that um, so we've got yeah. Craig's question here he's like, oh what the standard debate of foam rolling or stretching I'm still torn between the two and end up doing none <laughs> <laughs>
1: um different tools for different jobs i think is kind of the it's not an either or conversation that's the way i look at it um from a stretching point of view we're looking at improving not necessarily improving range of motion motion, unless you are looking to literally improve the the uh, muscle length to do things like i was talking about with holly learning to do the splits all that sort of stuff but really we're talking about um if you know you've got an area so again for me it's my calves that has a tendency to get tight with, for me again, mileage, then using stretching to, and again, we mentioned the conversation earlier about uh, people sitting down a lot of the time and tightness with their quads and hip flexors, using stretching to, in a targeted way, return those muscles to their normal length and to um, promote good, healthy, normal range of motion. Now, we're not talking necessarily about finding um, extra range of motion that as runners we don't necessarily need we're talking about finding the appropriate range of motion for your body at that given joint which we can then also couple obviously with stability so whenever we have mobility and, and movement at a joint we also need to work on the control to be able to to, to adequately control that, uh, that extra range of motion at the joint but from a stretching point of view um, we're looking to Game, perhaps look at the conversation between dynamic stretching versus static stretching. Um, So you can use stretching in a more dynamic fashion as part of a warm-up. So looking at again taking your body through that range of motion, taking your muscles through the range of motion to get them prepared for the upcoming session not just prepared in terms of warm and you know kind of mechanically ready from a muscle fiber point of view but also from a neuromuscular point of view get the 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 way the muscles and nerves talk to each other and the nerves talk to the brain get everything ramped up and ready to run so that kind of dynamic stretching into your drills into some strides that sort of thing really powerful really important and then post run that's where we're looking to static stretching and again whether we're talking about hips whether we're talking about ankles whether we're talking about your lower back start to ease those areas that potentially get tight and return them back to their normal state. Um, and that's where the conversation between stretching and foam, foam rolling somewhat differs. Because from a foam rolling point of view, we're not just talking, or we're not really talking about working through a range of motion, as you would do with a stretch. We're talking more about tissue health. We're talking more about working on the fascia as well as simply the muscle tissue. Um, and we're talking about working on being more targeted at addressing things like trigger points within the muscles so little areas locally within the muscle tissue that get supposed to be kind of colloquial about it kind of not as much you know as much as anything else kind of working those little areas to try and um allow them to dissipate allow them to relax to again improve that the health of the whole muscle tissue of that that individual muscle and then like i said with the, the fascia we're working on and again the way i describe fascia for those who aren't familiar, is imagine you've picked up um, a chicken breast from, from Tesco's, or wherever, pick your supermarket of choice, um, and there's the kind of the white film over the, the chicken breast itself. It's not skin, um, but it's kind of t- quite surprisingly tough white film that encapsulates Yeah, it's the, like transparent, the,
0: isn't it? Yeah, yeah exactly.
1: Yeah. It kind of encapsulates that chicken breast, in this case, tissue. That chicken breast tissue, that muscle tissue, well, the film that we're peeling off there, that's effectively fascia. The fascia is a, um, a tissue which almost kind of, what well, it does kind of both separate individual muscles and muscle groups, but also creates a layer between the, the muscle and other tissues within the body. Now, that fascia, in the same way that muscles can, over time, um, start to what's The word well start to get tight, start to become you know less healthy muscles. The fascia as well can start to not move as well because the idea is that the fascia should move quite gently and quite smoothly with around the other tissues that it's that it connects to or that it moves against. If there's adhesions, although there, there are areas where that fascia isn't moving well, then using something like a foam roller can do a lovely job of just starting to. Loosen that up a little bit and improve the, the general kind of well-being tissue-wise of the whole area. So you can use a roller for for that sort of thing, whereas you, where you're being more targeted. Whereas stretch from a stretching point of view, you're more so just looking at taking your the, the given muscle group, the given joint through a range of motion. So it's somewhat somewhat different. And then from a foam rolling point of view, again we've got the benefits of um, you know you're also almost able to rather than just Sit the fo- Sit your body on a foam roller and target at one point. You've also got the benefit of being able to use almost long kind of massaging strokes with the foam roller and get this kind of um, improved blood flow and kind of lymphatic drainage that would come with gentle long massage strokes. Do you, do you see what I mean? So you can do that, which you can't do with stretching. Yeah.
0: Um, so they kind of do both. You, also... you should be doing both then, probably doing a bit of both.
1: There's an argument. There's definitely an argument for them both. Um, I'll hold that thought a, for a second, but there are also areas of the body. So your quads, and I'm not just talking about, so usually when we stand up into a standing quad stretch, you'll feel it straight down the front of the thigh. And that's really the quad muscles, that's rectus femoris. There are four quad muscles, so there's the three vastus muscles as well. Now, it's actually really hard to put them into a end of range stretching position. So to try and put yourself to try and manipulate your body into a point where you're feeling a stretch through those muscles is, is actually surprisingly not easy to do. Whereas using a foam roller, you can actually really directly target those muscles without having to go into end of range. And the same can be said for muscles like your, uh, your perineals down the outside of your lower leg. You know, they're actually quite difficult and uncomfortable to take to end of range. Whereas not necessarily with a foam roller, but with a tennis ball, you could do a lovely job just getting in there and work on any areas of tightness work on any kind of trigger points quite nicely quite effectively so different tools for different jobs definitely
0: yeah the point
1: the point that I was trying to um, remind myself to come back to and that's why I jump in here now so I don't forget (laughs) is that the danger with all this stuff the danger with all this stuff and it comes back to what I said earlier about training load and ironically the thing being the thing that I don't speak about enough um, it's so easy to look at Use my channel as an example. All the different things on there. Go. When am I going to run? When am I going to work? Let alone this is a full-time job. Just looking after my body. Oh my god! No time for all this. With experience, for all of us as runners, with experience you'll learn what your areas are, what you need to work on. Um, some runners will get away pretty much without having to without having to stretch. You'll be fine. You'll do all the running you ever want to do, and you'll be fine. And you'll be one of those annoying guys in my comments who says, I never stretch. I'm (laughs) fine. What are you talking about? Um, Whereas I have the the, the benefit of of over a decade of working with runners now in my back pocket to say that, you know what, I know plenty of runners who would not be running a regular park run if they didn't stretch on a regular basis, let alone marathons. Um, So it kind of balances out. You will learn over time what you need to work on. Double down on those things, um, and you'll be fine.
0: Yes, that has been reiterated in the live comments as well. Doug Wood says um, that warm-up and recovery um, is personal to each person. So what works for one person might not work for another. So, yeah, it sounds like he summarised that nicely. Um, have we got time for just one last question, James? Go for it. One yeah, last I'm question. Um, and then we'll wrap it up. Um, so, uh, Adrian uh, um, it it's a, quite a... a so I don't know what this thing is actually it's he's seeing a lot of athletes either use or promote skin scraping, he says it seems to be some sort of chiropractic nonsense, brackets and don't get me started on the scientific basic basis of chiropractic <laughs> so, um, <laughs> but I know a whole bunch of runners who swear by it I would really like to hear the opinion of an actual sports therapy therapist on the practice
1: I haven't looked into it enough um i don't even know
0: what it is what is skin scraping
1: so i i don't do um any manual therapy these days i don't do any hands-on work um so i haven't looked into it in enough detail my limited understanding to it is that it's um uh, some sort of kind of instrument assisted massage and you're kind of working more from a fascia point of view than from a, a muscular point of view or it's um or it's some always potentially focusing more on the sensory side but I'm not I'm not f- overly familiar um, I need to look into it more so useless answer my apologies <laughs> I'm more about um, more about the exercise corrective exercise therapy than I am the hands on side so yeah. that's,
0: well, it yeah, says, that's
1: cards on the table
0: It says here that it's a bedrock technique in dermatology um, and you kind of scrape the skin off but that doesn't sound like what he's talking about it looks like a pumice stone to me but I don't think that can be the thing Um, it must be something different when applied to chiropractic
1: nurse maybe I'm thinking of something different then but that's that's certainly not what I had in mind
0: yeah. Okay, oh well. Sure oh well. We've ended on a kind of uh, then. <laughs> a bit of a. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, don't worry. <laughs> we'll cut that bit out. Um, but but yeah, it's been absolutely fantastic having you on to answer all these questions. Um, there's been tons on the live chat that I haven't even got around to asking you. So maybe you need to come on again um, in 2021 and we'll do another Q and A Um if with, not, uh, fantastic James Dunn. Pick a
1: couple pick a couple if you've got time
0: oh okay right who shall I pick who shall I pick Um, oh yes here's one Death Metal says what are your thoughts on ice cold plunges and cryotherapy for recovery
1: wow okay so I really like it actually Um, it's something that I got into back in the day when I was playing uh, again when I was playing rugby so we've kind of gone full circle a little bit in the conversation (laughs) Um, so post session um, and post Um, post-match so post-session we'd literally have a bunch of baths in the changing rooms Um, and we had I was fortunate enough to play at a a club that had um, yeah we were all full-time and we had full-time backroom staff and while we were out training they had um, people there filling up the ice baths and getting it ready so you'd literally walk in you'd disrobe and you would be faced with this decent-sized bath and it's not a cold bath with a couple of casual pieces of ice in there's probably a one-to-one ratio of ice cubes and water in this thing, and we'd be in there for what was it? I think it was it was five minutes, and you'd be neck height, five minutes, um, and then we'd do five rounds of one minute on, one minute off, warm shower, bath, warm, warm shower, bath, wow. um, and that um, I have ever since really sworn by that. Um, don't get me wrong, I don't do that on a regular basis, but I know that if I need to, if I need to you know, focus on recovery and, and I'm feeling, you know, if I'm towards the back end of one of those week threes, as I mentioned earlier, um, it's not unusual for me to run a cold bath and, and hop on in. Um, and again, the day after a match back in those days, it would be 10 minutes up to your neck um and then it would be (laughs) i've just remembered something i'll tell you in a minute um it would be 10 minutes up to your neck and then you'd be out and you'd do 20 minutes low level low intensity cardio on a bike um or go for a long walk they, they just literally use that as recovery so again the science is pretty mixed in terms of the actual benefits um but i for one really do like um, like the, the the cryo side of things um, what made me laugh is I had memories that it wasn't just the cold baths we also used to and for us in the UK I'm not sure what we have in the US equivalence, equivalency wise but we had wheelie bins oh yeah for of water uh, and ice and we literally they'd fashion these steps so you'd go up a couple of steps and hop in the wheelie bin and you'd just be there kind of crouching in the wheelie bin like Oscar the Grouch um, yeah. just, uh, <laughs> just just miserably cold uh, and yeah my, you'd be my crouching, crouching in it winter,
0: wouldn't you well. but you'd yeah. be crouching in it but someone who was shorter would be like submerged <laughs> <laughs> lots of people are finding this hilarious Hannah Baisley says I don't care how good they are for recovery I can't think of anything worse Adrian says It sounds like torture. (laughs) And Recycle on Wednesdays says the same. (laughs) So yeah, that's that's very good. I know that after trail races, if there's been a lake nearby or a river and I've got in like up to the waist and soaked the legs, um, it feels so good. Um, I really recommend yeah. I don't I don't care about the science, it definitely works for me, definitely. Um have you
1: uh, go on, go, go.
0: Have you got time for one more question? Yeah, why not? one more question and then we'll wrap it up folks so Stuart Passmore says what are your thoughts on the next jet uh, ge- on the next generation of, of the alpha fly and the next generation of shoes so seeing as we were talking about shoes right at the beginning um, yeah what do you reckon about all these this carbon business in all the shoes
1: yeah okay so let's just broadly talk about carbon soles or carbon carbon insoles as in carbon within the midsole of the shoe um, i am really surprised that i'm really surprised we're kind of going down this route a little bit because it's going to change the biomechanics it's going to change your biomechanics um in terms of the way the actual foot so think you know, you're not just about how then we're talking about translating up ankle knee hip low back um but the way there's a really important mechanism called the windlass mechanism within the foot um and as we As we think about going from foot flat, so your foot's flat on the ground, to where your foot then levers up, and your heel comes off the ground at the back end of your stride, and your big toe is still on the ground, the ball of the foot's still on the ground, and you're creating this lever around the big toe. And the lever that you're creating around the big toe and the other toes effectively lever the plantar fascia over the ball of the foot, and create more rigidity through the arch of the foot. So it gives you this rigid platform off which to push. It's a really fundamental piece of the arch- piece of the, the architecture of the foot. I just feel like with something that's going to give you something that does a very similar job has a very similar role. Again, I'm not a I'm not a podiatrist, um, and you know I'm not. Um, it'd be interesting to hear a podiatrist's thoughts on this, but. If something does a very similar job, it's gonna be detracting from what the foot has to do. On one hand, cool, are we saying that we're saving a bit of energy? But on the other hand, if you're over time detraining the foot and not asking the foot to work as hard, and I appreciate that people aren't training in these shoes. Um so that's not perhaps as valid a comment. But if over time we're learning not to use our foot in that way, then you know potentially we're opening ourselves up to issues. Um, it was interesting seeing Bukele, um pull out of London um, with a calf issue. Oh. Coincidence? Shoo. I don't know. No idea. Um, from, from what I hear about the, uh, from what I hear coming from the elites, is they're not overly enamoured with the uh, the latest um, the latest release. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I just think it's it's really interesting. Now we're applying more structured technology to take away from what the body should be able to do for itself. Yeah. Um, I'm what, kind of what, surprised
0: what... they haven't ruled it out as like a cheating type thing, personally. like, Yeah,
1: yeah, it's... Um, that's a contentious one, isn't it? I, I don't really know what I think about that, to be honest. I think it's... Uh, are we assuming that everyone at top level at some point is going to be using them anyway, so it's a level playing field, or are we... Yeah. You know, it's not going to roll down but then we are seeing it rolling down so because yeah loads of runners at my club yeah yeah so they're all getting one yeah exactly so exactly so again that doesn't make sense so it's i'm just intrigued as to where this goes i think is the best way to put it because you know at what point do we then do you remember Okay, I'm going on a bit of a tangent now. But do you remember we had compression wear a few years ago oh, yeah. that had strips? Had strips, plastic strips on the outside I think it was. Okay. Um, to give you more elastic return uh-huh. through ser- certain muscle groups. Yeah. Um, are we looking at kind of the same thing or are we looking at are we are we is this I don't want to sound like, like weird. Like a bionic hat,
0: suit or something, like inspecting so gadget. At, yeah,
1: exactly. Are we looking at a bionic exoskeleton now? Like, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah,
0: maybe.
1: I, yeah, I need to. I need to retract that because that's a weird <laughs> comment. But you know, you know what I mean. It's kind of the body needs to be able to do what the body needs to be able to do. Yeah. Um, and stay strong and not have external crutches um, mm. do the job for it, because otherwise you become less. Uh, robust, I suppose, for want of a better word. And we saw that we see that in, for example, American footballers and, and Super League. You know, certainly, I don't know if it's still going on now, but in Super League, um, we had uh, it was common practice that everyone just gets their ankles strapped. American footballers, certainly, everyone gets their ankles strapped. So if you're reliant on uh, an external support day in, day out, and this isn't what we're talking about from a... You know, I've moved well on now into the worlds of just weird rabbit holes. But in, if we're reliant on that external support, then we detrain the body from being able to provide the ankle stability it needs. So all of a sudden we see people who are less capable when we take away their strapping. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: that's... It's, it's just really interesting. I don't yeah. know. Yeah.
0: Well, it's the same for everything, isn't it? Like, we drive cars all the time and now we can't walk anywhere. So like the same thing isn't it we sit down all the time and now we get injured okay. when we spread out so yeah it's it makes total sense to me what you've just said completely good that's
1: two of us then
0: yeah. leave it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we've lost everyone else but the, the two of us are fine <laughs> well um, i'm gonna have to wrap it up now because it is uh quarter past nine we've taken up so much of your time um and it's absolutely brilliant to have you on and uh, just tell us just briefly where everyone can find you if they don't already know your stuff online um let us know um how people can follow you and get involved with all the training videos that you do
1: yeah so we've plugged it a couple of times already um so the youtube channel hop on over so youtube.com uh, forward slash james Dunn. Um, and the other good place would be my website. So kinetic-revolution.com or just, just literally just Google James Dunn 30-Day Challenge. Um, and the 30-Day Challenge is actually a really good place to start and literally walk you through 30 days worth of mobility work, strengthening work, a little bit of running technique work um, as a bit of a snapshot as to what you could be doing as a runner, not what you need to be doing every day because none of us need to be doing 30-day, you know, need to be doing every single day this kind of work. But if we can use that as a springboard to then get into a three times per week routine it's a pretty good place to be so yeah hop on over there and uh i'll see you there
0: that's awesome i just can't believe it's all completely free as well it's such a fantastic resource so definitely everybody subscribe to the youtube channel and and get on the website and do the 30 day challenge as well and join the facebook group as well that looks like a really good place to be as well yeah yes,
1: certainly, certainly.
0: Well, Good. Well good. Um, You've had some great comments here tonight. I'm just going to read you out some thank you comments from everybody watching here, um, just so that you feel really good about yourself. Um, So Adrian Orange says, Really good listening to James. Very informative. Thank you both. And Paul Hamilton says, It has been brilliant listening to an actual expert, James. Thank you. (laughs) Um, So uh, KGKD says, Thanks both uh robin townsend says it's been fantastic thank you right recycle on wednesdays says thanks very much much appreciated doug wood says he follows both of us and has done for a while so he enjoys both content so thanks ah well uh, support on yes, patron nice. then doug <laughs> awesome mm-hmm. um Paul Linford says, thanks, really interesting. Chris Murdoch says, thanks. Oh, I've got tons of people watching tonight. Christina says, thank you, it was fantastic. Um, Narrowboat Longpod, which is, as we know, Mike, uh, says thanks.
1: yeah.
0: Ellie Wilbur says, thanks. Hannah Baisley says, thank you very much. You answered one of her questions earlier. So, yeah, much love for you on the channel, James. So hopefully you'll get at least 10 more subscribers now from this broadcast. (laughs)
1: Well, that's very kind. Thank you. And thank you again for inviting me. It's been a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, thank you so much. And hopefully we'll catch up at some point in 2021.
1: Yes, hopefully so.
0: Fantastic. Well, good night, everybody. And see you soon, James. Bye. Bye. Hi, it's Claire here. I hope you enjoyed this podcast these live chats take place every wednesday evening at 6 30 pm uk time on wild ginger running youtube channel and the link is in the show notes Thanks for listening, guys. Have fun, enjoy your run, and I'll see you on the trails.
1: Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello?